my mom has always said, like, if you've ever wanted to see a city, you have to walk in it. You can't just be in a taxi or in a tour bus. I mean, really get immersed in culture and the smells and, you know, the way people are looking and walking and talking. Hello, I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I'm talking with Katie. Katie is very optimistic and adventurous, an American student at the University of Nevada. As well as working towards a Bachelor of Arts, Katie's an entrepreneur too, and recently started her online business. She's the self-proclaimed risk-taker of the family. At only 23, and while studying, Katie has managed to save money and travel internationally to 12 different countries so far, all over the world. Her passion has been found in travel. She started a podcast called Let's Travel Baby, where she shares her unique experiences and gives away tips on traveling within a tight budget. In conversation, Katie and I discuss how young Americans view international travel, as she reflects on her initial trip to Spain on a study program. We also talk about those life-altering experiences and witnessing moments which shift original perspectives of the world, the home, and the self. Katie is very committed to sticking to her travel budgets and is generous enough to share some tips here, especially when it comes to things like ticketing, eating, and sleeping. We talk about solo travel, whether it's your bag or not, but more importantly, how traveling might improve you as a person, if you let it. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. Good morning, Katie, and thanks for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's very early over there, I suppose. So where exactly are you right now? I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's currently 8 a.m. right now. <laughs> early. I'm over in Liverpool, and it's just after 4 p.m., so slightly more you know, appropriate time to be podcasting, but I appreciate you getting up early and having a chat with me. Of course. We both have our coffee at ironically <laughs> yeah, <4 PM. laughs> yeah i have two coffees a day normally anyway i have my morning coffee and my afternoon coffee so you know no tea occasionally tea yes but i find coffee is stronger and when i need a bigger hit of caffeine it's the go-to nice okay well in america we always think that you guys just live off tea every day i like both but coffee for podcasting makes more sense to me all right we gotta get the job done yeah so katie today we're talking about you and your traveling experiences particularly traveling as a college student internationally and traveling on a budget i would just like to ask you an, an initial question who are you and what do you actually do right now what is your lifestyle like are you a typical uh american college student yeah i would say so i'm a senior in college and uh we call it university so what's a typical kind of routine for you then as an American student uh, who's studying at university? Well, we have like a really interesting school system. So like I'm currently taking some leftover sophomore classes, mm. but I'm just finishing out the requirements of the university's guidelines for a bachelor's degree. But it's very, very um, easy right now. I'm in my last two classes, so I don't have a lot of homework or a lot of time spent, but I I don't know if I had updated you on this, but currently I opened a small business online. Cool. Yeah. So I've been working on that and it's been like nine hour days. So yeah, it's kind of been this uh, dream of mine to have an online business in order to travel pretty much my entire life. Yeah. My university experience was similar to you, but a bit less entrepreneurial, I would say. I studied and I went to school, went to classes at university, but I had to hold a job as well to just have money to pay rent and buy food and yeah. you know all the other things that we need to spend during life so i was busy and i worked and i never really had that much money would you say that's similar to you 
Um, yeah, especially in the beginning stages of an early business in college where my parents have told me to focus completely on school and luxury expenses have to be put on hold and stuff like that. It definitely has to be all school, all study, all building the career and less about money for sure. It's <laughs> what college student stereotype is right on track. <laughs> Uh, university in the States, I'm aware, is very, very expensive too. So I can just imagine there must be always that thought in the back of your mind of money. How am I going to get money? Right. And it's definitely, as you would see, like in the stereotypes of America, like we have this, uh, we don't have government guidelines on how much a college can charge for tuition. So the tuition can be $60,000 a year. And that's, you take out student loans and you have to get through that. I guess having that in mind from an American university student's perspective, to me, from an outsider, I would kind of think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would kind of think that young people in America who are studying must see travel, and I guess international travel specifically, as this like this distant fantasy, this crazy idea. Or is it perhaps something that is doable? Starting my podcast a lot of it stemmed from my friends and family and people from my social media thinking that I had a ton of money just because I traveled and I wanted to like erase that misconception and that it was really feasible and realistic. It's not this distant fantasy that's only awarded after you retire or you get a <laughs> job, you know, it's not like this crazy thing. I think it's very realistic and doable for people who don't have a lot of money. I mean, I did it when I made $9,000 a year, you know, a couple years ago, and I was still able to travel. Even with all your university and just living expenses, you were able to save a little bit of money on the side and dedicate that to traveling. Right. It, it's, it's this passion. Like if you want to do it, it will definitely happen. I agree. I think you're right. If, if you prioritize your savings and you maybe sacrifice a few things in your general life, the way you live, put that money aside, put it in an account, save it, maybe get a little bit of interest if you've you know, got a nice bank account deal going on there. Yeah, and then it eventually becomes an amount of money that is possible to go traveling with, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I compare it to like saving for a car. I mean, many people do that without a given or save up for an apartment or a house. I mean, people do that you know, without thinking twice. And I was like, I just did that with traveling. And people were like, that's possible? You can do that? <laughs> it's all about your mindset, isn't it? Absolutely. That's how cool. <laughs> You're only in your 20s still, and you've been to more than 10 countries. Is that right? Yes, uh, 12. 12 and counting, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. When this place opens up, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was at university, I think I'd been to less than five countries. Okay. I was a different person back then, and traveling to me was something that I, I guess dreamed of, but wasn't sure if I could actually ever do. It took me to mature enough to a point where I'd finished university and I was like, what the hell? I'm just going to go for it now because what's holding me back? But I guess you've reached that level of courage and that level of tenacity and that level of not being afraid of what's out there. And you've already been to a bunch of places in your 20s. So would you say that that is a rare thing for an American university student? I think sometimes with the misconception of traveling comes like that misconception of uh, safety and that say, uh, traveling can be dangerous and that there's a lot of risks, you know, planes can crash and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> a lot of people would rather just be safe and the majority of, I think, the population plays it safe in the nicest way possible because it's valid and it's guaranteed and there's not really much risk taken. So yeah, I've definitely always been kind of the risk taker of my family and I just <laughs> I didn't think I had anything to lose. I want to just take you back now to that very very first international trip you made. Sort of what were the circumstances that led you to make that decision and go and explore outside of your home country for the first time? Was it like a spontaneous thing? Was it something you really were working towards? You had a particular place in mind? What were the details? I just remember I was talking over with a girlfriend in college and we had just decided to do studying abroad. And quite honestly, it was the reason had stemmed from just, you know, vanity and just wanting to show off to people that I could travel and that, you know, I could take you pics in the sun in Spain and go to Paris. But when I had actually done the traveling, it had stemmed 
it blossomed into so much more, you know, it, it grew into this, oh my gosh, you can change your perspective. You can become more open-minded and empathetic. And there's just so much that happens when you travel to the psyche. So mm. I think that was like one of the biggest things that at first it became, you know, just wanting to show off and take cute pictures and, you know, do all the European fantasies. And then it became this much more bigger kind of realization of self and, and growth in all the best way possible. You went to Europe. That was your first experience of a foreign culture outside of American culture. Yes, I, I jumped headfirst. I did Spain, Paris, other parts of Spain, Malta, Greece, all within the first time I had ever traveled. Mm. So it was definitely a lot of a month and a half of uh, study in Spain. I don't know if European countries do studying abroad. I, I think they do. Yeah, it's very common. Yes, stu studying abroad in Europe is very popular. They have this program called Erasmus program where all the European nations, I think EU nations, but I also believe a few nations outside of the European Union can participate in this program. And it's basically students can leave, for example, if they're Italian, they can go study in Ireland or they can go study in Germany for a semester. And I think it's amazing because, like you said, when you go and live in another country, study in another country, at least spend a decent amount of time in another country, the kind of experiences you get can give you so much personal growth and maturation that you just become a better person. When I was at school, when I was studying university in Australia, because we're not anywhere near Europe, we are so far away, <laughs> we, we do have options to study abroad. A lot of charities can sponsor students to help them raise the funds because just getting to another country from Australia can be quite expensive and then having the money to live in a, in a foreign place too. I had some friends who went to Sweden and Germany and even the States to do a semester abroad or even 12 months, a whole year abroad, but I never did. And it's something I kind of regret because I think it could have been a really good experience. But in the end, I just took those experiences and put them later on in my life. So I, I guess instead of being 20 years old, I was 24, 25, 26 years old by the time I was leaving my comfort zone and going exploring. <laughs> so you're, you're a much right. earlier starter than me, Katie. Right. And I think both are awesome because you just had a delayed reaction. I mean, you were able to see so much and think of so much more that you wanted to do and had a lot more money probably to do those things. Yeah. Let's talk about the study abroad a little bit more. So you went to Spain was this something that your university kind of helped you to achieve? Did you go with some friends from your specific university to another specific university in Spain? And was there somewhere uh, to help you raise the money or did you have to spend all the money on your own? And, and was all the expenses up to you? There's no charity program. I mean, there are charity programs in university here, but there's not, it's not very common. I mean, you, you basically pay out of pocket uh, for another semester of part-time classes it's you get done with your you know school faster but it is only awarded to people that could afford it I did go with friends and we had the largest my college had the largest amount of our university students over there studying so we were all from UNR University of Nevada Reno okay and yeah it was we went into university we didn't study with other international students we studied from different Americans that had been from different states but it was very nice and we got to stay at a really nice Spanish college and it was an eye-opening experience to the world for that month living there for sure. What would you say were the best parts of that experience? Experiencing another culture was it meeting international people was it meeting other American students abroad what, what were your your take backs from that trip? I think it was like no pun intended here but broadening my horizon. I mean, literally seeing the different way because as Americans, and I don't know if you guys know this, but we're very patriotic and we think very, very highly of us. And we thought that we were, we think that we're the best country in the world. And that is something that is taught down to us in movies, in TV shows and history books. I mean, like history is written by the winners. I mean, we really have believed this dream that we were 
you know, we came over here and we're, you know, the best and we win all the wars. Da, da. <laughs> I realized that like being over there, we don't come in first in anything other than military personnel mm. and, you know, military material. I mean, we don't come in first in food and people's happiness and healthcare and benefits. Mm. I mean, we come in last in a lot of stuff. And that was very humbling for me because I was like, wow, like everything that I've been taught kind of just was dismantled at that moment. And um, there's a lot of things that Europe do right that we should implement more. And yeah, it was definitely an eye opener for me as an American student that was super, you know, patriotic and thought, you know, we were the best. (laughs) Yeah, I I find Katie that sentiment to be fairly common amongst American people who travel abroad with an open mind and a humble heart and willing to learn from other people instead of believing that they're the best and nothing can change that. I think national pride is an interesting thing and the whole world is very aware of American national pride because we see it in the culture of of, um, movies and TV and stuff in America. I would say that all countries and the citizens of these countries have a level of pride. And this can always be challenged when you go and experience another culture. Being able to reflect and be changed by experiencing a different culture is the way forward because you will maintain the truths and the good things about your native culture and be proud of that, but not be an arrogant tool about things that perhaps you've been brainwashed to believe. Because unless you go somewhere outside of your bubble, you cannot realize that you've been brainwashed anyway, can you? No, absolutely not. And I think that was kind of the basis of racism. Like it doesn't happen unless you haven't been out of your bubble. Mm. Like it, I think that, and and not that I was like ever racist before, but it definitely gives you an open-minded perspective of other people's experience and where they come from and how hard they work. And it was very humbling to see other people's cultures and be completely immersed in it. I was very quite honored and it was quite an emotional trip. It was, wasn't always happy, but it was definitely groundbreaking, profound moment of just like, ah, you know, it's like traveling to different planets at that point. (laughs) Yeah. it, It seems Katie that this experience had quite an impact on you. And I suppose we call this expression in Australia, we get the travel bug. There's something about the experience of traveling and going abroad and being in a different environment that is almost addictive. And you feel like you gain so much from it as a person that you just need more and more and more. Would you say that happened to you? Right. And we also use that expression, too. And it's also like the itch, like the itch will come back or something. But it's definitely true in that sense, like that it is the most passionate and the most exciting part of my life. And I had absolutely dedicated and promised to myself that I would I would travel to be the center of my life. So you will prioritize traveling as what you will invest your money and your time in because you want to gain the rewards and the experiences from that. Yes, I I would quite honestly love to build a cycle of you know having the podcast and that being part of the funding of the travel and then traveling more give material to the podcast and then that just kind of creates that beautiful cycle of just it basically funding my dreams and my dreams funding you know my career and that's why I looked so deeply into online work and just to think glass half full so much of the world is transitioning into zoom classes I mean we're doing a zoom call right now and (laughs) you know school is transferring to online all of my schools are online you know jobs are becoming more efficient as to where they're like, Hey, we don't really need to send anybody back. We can just keep you guys online and we'll, you know, we'll do zoom meetings and, you know, save on rent, save the environment. So I think traveling is going to absolutely skyrocket for a lot of the population. And we'll definitely kind of have to be the pioneers to help guide those people who now have this vested interest of finally getting out. Cause I think people have become just quarantine sick mm. of this idea of, you know, not exploring cause we're just not like that as humans. I definitely think that we're going to have this travel boom and we're going to see a lot more people trying to dip their feet into the water. Yeah, uh, I was looking at some stats on the internet earlier. There used to be this myth, which was actually more fact years ago, um, but it became myth because the, the information wasn't true anymore. But it was that 
only 10% of Americans had passports. Now that was true in about 1990, a long time ago. Um, before you were born, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and these days, it's more like about half of Americans have passports, which you would think is still not that much, but it's quite a lot more compared to 10%. Do you think that after this pandemic and this COVID-19 bollocks that a lot more Americans will be so hungry to go anywhere that they'll be getting their passports and wanting to explore more? Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if you've heard kind of what's happened during the pandemic in America, but Americans are very stubborn. We're very entitled. We don't want to conform to rules. I mean, people have literally felt like their rights have been taken away for wearing a mask or being inside. We all have this kind of like traveling, like, I mean, I wouldn't say like all Americans like to travel, but we're all very like entitled to want more. And we've always been given so much that I think it's going to skyrocket again. I, I think like people, if they don't want to be inside and they don't want to wear masks, I think traveling is going to become more realistic of kind of getting out of, you know, being in our in our locks or whatever. That's why it's taken so long for Americans to heal from the pandemic is because like nobody wants to be controlled here. Mm. And we haven't really felt any sense of control ever. And so I think, yeah, that's definitely going to unleash and, you know, let the beast out. (laughs) (laughs) People, I think I've known a lot of people that have gotten passports during the pandemic just to prepare for the traveling. Yeah. But I think like both of our podcasts are going to be, you know, the pioneers of, you know, helping these people because not everybody's going to know how to do it, at least efficiently. Let's move on to that, Katie, because your podcast is interesting in the way that it's it's centered around your experiences and specifically your experiences as a young American person and somebody who can travel on a budget. How have you gone about budgeting for your trips and what kind of methods do you use once you're abroad to make your money stretch for as far as it can stretch? I've done Asian countries and European countries and South American countries all within the same formula of budget. Mm. I guess I would give like a couple tips. So for me, when buying tickets, my best tip is to think like a crazy person, like think like a crackhead. And it sticks to people because like, they're like, like, why would you say that? But it's like, you need to think when people are not working to buy your tickets. So like 3am, you know, the Thursday afternoon, those type of times, you know, Monday morning, when people are off and ready to go to work, that's almost the best time to get your tickets. Hmm. Um, I also go based on a food budget. So I spend no more than $30 a day on food. And I think that's helped kind of keep me uh, kind of keep me like level headed in that way. So I kind of know that like, yes, I can have fun. Yes, I can splurge on a really nice $15 meal. But I know that I'm going to have, you know, just coffee and a croissant the morning of that has to be, you know, $3 max. And I think it's definitely helped. I've used that in Japan, Jamaica, Colombia, you know, Paris, Spain, Greece, all that stuff. And it, it really is the same. And especially when you go to, I mean, when the currency absolutely changes, like Thailand, you can literally eat for $3 a day. You know, it becomes so much easier. But yeah, luckily with Americans inflation, we have some of the highest food prices. So when you get to, you know, other countries, $30 a day sounds very realistic. What do you do for accommodation? How, how do you stretch money when you, it comes to paying for accommodation? Well, I stay in hostels and hostels are something that is welcome to a lot of young people. And for me, that has been one of my favorite parts of traveling. Like my mom has always said, like, if you've ever wanted to see a city, you have to walk in it. You can't just be in a taxi or in a tour bus. I mean, really get immersed in culture and the smells and, you know, the way people are looking and walking and talking. And I would stay in hostels for like $30 a night, $15 a night, $10 a night, $5 a night, depending on the currency. Mm-hmm. It was actually one of the most beautiful experiences. I mean, we've, I've stayed in mixed hostels with men sleeping in the bunk bed above me. And I, I have felt completely safe because they do take account into your ID, your passport, mm. take record of everything. They have locks on everything, you know, locks on lockers, doors, bathrooms. It's been one of the nicest places to make those connections with other people because, you know, you're sleeping right next to them. You're like, hey, you know, where are you from? And 
you know, you open conversation to so much culture and, you know, that kind of stun of amazement when they think that, you know, hey, you're American. Oh my gosh, you're from Las Vegas. Is it like the movies? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's fun to just tell people almost like you're from another planet, you know, and it just feels like, you know, your world's away, but you're so close in that moment. And, you know, you feel so much trust because you kind of do, you have to sleep next to them. You know, you have to feel comfortable with the people you're near, but I think hostels were one of the best ways to emerge myself in kind of that dynamic, open-minded, empathetic, groundbreaking experiences that I've had. Okay. So it's a few things you need to consider. It's making sure you purchase travel tickets at the cheapest possible time. So think like a crackhead, <laughs> nocturnal, and buy tickets off peak internet times. Right. I've never thought about that, but that kind of makes sense. I suppose certain times of year as well might yes. allow you to find better deals than other times of year, especially if those are the dates you wish to travel. I, I always just think of if you're going to travel around Christmas time, forget it because the prices are going to be really high. Yeah. If you're going to travel in the height of summertime, you're going to pay more, but maybe in late spring, it might be yeah. a bit cheaper. I like the idea of keeping to a food budget, a daily food budget, and everybody can set their own food budget, can't they? And I guess that can alter slightly depending on if you're in an expensive country or a cheap country and how much you can actually eat for the amount of money you want to spend. And then, yeah, staying in hostels, I personally enjoy it as well. It's so much cheaper than private accommodation and, and chain hotels and it gives you that opportunity to meet random people yeah. who potentially could be super fun and become lifelong friends too yeah and they you know i've now have places to stay in moscow and turkey because you know you're just so open to them and you tell them like hey you know whenever you come to my country dude i trust you you slept right next to me and didn't steal my stuff or kill me dude come to my house you know it's like that beautiful experience of just like trust and um, I was going to make another note. Um, I base a lot of my podcasts based on science and I'm very logical and I'm very analytical. And I think I don't believe something unless I've seen it proven, but there's this study that like with international currency, we tend to think of it like monopoly money. And so that's where that over, of, you know, spending comes in and yeah, we can do 400 Euro for a hotel. It doesn't matter. Look at how cute the little people are like, you know, they're euros and especially as Americans, we have like a distinct color. We have green money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, other cultures have this beautiful color, pastel colors that we resemble as monopoly money, you know, to play the game, to win the game. So there's that trick in the psyche where you have to understand that like, yes, that money may not look like your money, but it is still your currency and you need to be careful. Um, but that's where that kind of limit of food budget comes in. I think food is one of the most expensive parts of travel. So if you kind of keep that in mind and say, hey, this money is fake, you just have to come back to me at some point. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. I can relate to that because I recall in previous travels I've done where I've, I, I used to work in a bank many years ago and I do like, I do like money and I find it quite interesting. But when you're using a money that you've never seen before, that's foreign, it is quite novel. And the value of it, because you actually haven't worked to buy this currency, it you kind of like it is like monopoly money. You don't really connect with it as as you would your native currency. So I think you're right. You need to always be careful with okay. Now I have twenty euros. How much actually is that in American, which is your native currency? Analytically, think okay, is this worth it, or is this what I would pay back? in my hometown or am I being a bit reckless with my spending at the moment? Because yeah. you need to bring everything back to how much money you actually have because you started with your currency, you changed it, but you have to go back and live in your home currency again. So you can't overspend. Yes. And luckily I've been at the personal experience so close to the Las Vegas Strip. It is honed for that monopoly money psyche trick. I mean, right. Las Vegas is keen on closing off windows so that gamblers will never see the time of day. So they can stay there for 18 hours, you know, plus playing and spending money. Uh, free drinks are awarded when you sit down on the gambling table. I mean, they're pumped oxygen and really nice scents so that you are always continuously alert and happy. Ah. Yeah, there's a ton of like, I've seen the expensive, I've seen people throw away $10,000 in a night because of the, that trick. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yes, I, I have actually been to Vegas. Really? I I went there on my first trip to the states. I was in I was in California, and as a twenty odd year old bloke, when a cute Canadian girl asks you, "Do you want to go to Vegas?" you generally just say yes. And so <laughs> I said yes, and I went to Vegas. I was quite overwhelmed because it is intense, especially from a person from Australia who hadn't seen a huge part of the world at that time. Mm. It was immense and quite fun, but the whole gambling thing, I didn't really care too much about. I, I actually went and saw some shows and went to a few clubs and just walked around and saw all the fountains and the pretend Eiffel Tower and yeah. these balloons and things. And yeah. yeah, it was cool. But I would actually like to see real Vegas if I go there again and and just check out. Once you get off the strip, what is Las Vegas actually like? And knowing a local person like you, you'd be able to give me legit info about what Vegas is like as just a regular city, not a gambler's paradise. Yeah, I get that. That's one of the first questions I get when I'm in the hostel or when I'm talking to locals in a different country. They always assume that I either I work on the strip or that I work in the hotel or that I live in the hotel. They literally think I live on the strip. You know, do you live in the hotels? Do you guys all live in the hotel? It's like, no, what? It's actually very suburban. And we've gotten the Raiders football team and gotten Golden Knights hockey team. And that was significant because before that, we had had the largest mass shooting in, in American history. And I think in the world's history, we had felt devastated as a community. And then those sports teams, you know, being together in the crowd and us all wearing the same t-shirts, that kind of felt like that sense of community. So we're very close and we've gotten more close since the massacre, but it is a very calm, suburban, holistic, you know, place for peace and a lot of our community and especially the people, uh, we, we crave peace and we crave nature. So we, 30 minutes out of Vegas, you have these mountains and you can go skiing and it's snow all year round and 30 minutes away is um this great hiking trails called red rock and they're just these huge rock mountains that are just this burnt amber color and they're very beautiful mm. and a lot of the times we're just people who crave peace and we never really go down to the strip unless family is involved i mean we're not all the time spending there it's quite a stimuli you know exhaust field out there <laughs> yeah so there's a lot more to las vegas than the las vegas strip right absolutely. everybody out there that's a good thing to note <laughs> yes it's very calm it's very peaceful actually <laughs> katie from all your experiences traveling would you say that these adventures and the way you've been able to find strategies for budgeting would you say it's made you a more resilient person Absolutely. I think it's made me one of the most resilient people that I've ever come across because it gives you that ability to adapt to situations quickly. Not all the time is your bus going to be on time or you're going to speak the language of people and you have to adapt very, very quickly in order to survive. And, you know, it's kind of like this fun adventure. It's not always, you know, Instagram pictures and eating pasta and wine in Italy. It's especially when you're backpacking and you choose the route of walking everywhere. It's, it can get quite dangerous and um, you need to be smart and adapt very quickly. I think that, that that's made me very resilient to just about any type of change in my life, which is quite positive, I think, because mm. that, that is always kind of the fear that stems from a lot, you know, going to a new job, asking the person out, you know, move you to a new place. I think that all stems from the fear of change. And I think traveling kind of erases that. Would you say you, the traveling can help you to believe in yourself more and grow more in confidence? So you believe that when stuff does change and when stuff happens, that you will actually be able to handle it? Yes, absolutely. If I can handle stuff changing in a country that I've never been to in a language I've never spoken to, I think I can handle it. And, you know, the country that I've you know, been in my whole life. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely takes you, it, it makes you so, so confident in yourself that, you know, if you can get through, you know, the treks and all the little micro challenges of travel, then you can do just about anything. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great question. So you were talking about safety just before, and, and that's something that I, I've had conversations with in the past with usually solo travelers who are female, because I understand that the world sometimes and unfortunately can be a slightly more dangerous place if you're a woman and you're on your own. 
and I, I hate that that's, you know, the possibility. And I really wish that women should not be afraid to travel solo, but obviously not be silly at the same time. So I was just wondering, have you done any solo travel as a female? And would that be considered for you as like leaving your comfort zone or not? Yeah, I guess for it would, would be considered leaving my comfort zone because I've always traveled with other people. As you said, it makes you very self-confident and very resilient. But I, I went to Jamaica, which is it's like a small uh, country near the Bahamas. Um, mm. But I was going to test it out small, and that was close to the United States. It was close to Florida, but that was my first solo travel experience, and I wanted to do, you know, maybe like a little microdose to see how I could be on my feet. And um, it was very enjoyable. I stayed in a hostel, and um, I stayed in a very part of the area which was quite frightening it was it was not like it was dangerous but it was just something I wasn't used to and quite honestly I don't think I would solo travel again it's not that it was a safety reason I you know when you feel like you can you know get through the traveling stuff before and the 10 countries before you can get through anything but it was just quite sad because like there was moments of so much beauty and so much profound information that I wish I would have been with somebody I know or love to share that with mm. you know it's not you know superhero as it thinks it's it's just kind of you know you wish somebody you love was next to you in those beautiful moments so yeah I don't think I would do it again I'm glad I did it for the first time but yeah I don't I don't think I would have done that again I totally understand I, I don't think necessarily solo travel is for everyone because it mm -hmm. does depend on the personality type that you have I really like solo traveling for the fact that it makes me be more challenged and I, I kind of live in that. I like being pushed outside my comfort zone. I like being forced to make new connections. Not that I necessarily enjoy it all the time, but I like the fact that I, I have to, otherwise I'm going to be alone. But like you just mentioned, there are times and there have been times where I've been in this moment and I've been on my own and I have wished that I was able to share it with somebody. I, I didn't. So now it's just a story that I can share with others that I experienced on my own. And now I can tell you, but I never was there with another person. So I totally understand what you're saying. You've done it. It's not your bag, but you can do it. But you'd rather travel with, with another role with friends. Yes, absolutely. It, yeah, it, it kind of it's different than bringing them just a keychain, you know, rather than you just wish that they were with you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I think can be a negative and it's only a negative if you allow it to be a negative but when you travel with a friend from home let's say sometimes you don't allow yourself the opportunity to meet other people or to embrace the culture as much because you're kind of more preoccupied with your friend however if you both had committed to or, or if the group is committed to you know meeting new people collectively then it might even be better having two people or three people networking with other people and then traveling that way because there's more people making connections on your behalf right absolutely and i'm i'm super woo woo and like law of attraction manifestation and i i totally think that like your thoughts and your preconceived notions of something is that is going to create the reality like if you think that solo travel is dangerous if you think that you're gonna have a horrible time with other people that will be the reality that is set but i think if whatever perspective you would like to have on the situation if you tell the universe beforehand i think that is what creates that so with your traveling experiences i'm just going to throw out a few questions and i'm be curious to know what your thoughts are traveling experiences do you think they can make you a better student can they make you a better person can they make you a better american and how yeah i think the humbleness mm. <laughs> was the biggest thing because of that. And also just like, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but like Americans were tend to be like very loud and that's how you can always spot out an American. <laughs> like that, like I, right. I learned that from the locals in Spain. They were like, Oh, well look, look, you hear that loud person. That's an American. I was like, no way, but definitely just to be like aware of like the presence but we're also like insanely optimistic mm -hmm. we're like the go-getters and you know you can do it dude 
And also there was a stereotype that somebody had told me in my hostel about we are always so sweet to like invite people, but we never follow up with it. Like when the person shows up at our house the day later, we're like, what? You know, mm-hmm. um, but I think to be, you know, just aware of, of so much more, I think that that has made me so much more open-minded and so much more able to see the other side of a situation because I have been to the other sides of a lot of places. It quite literally makes you like, I would say I made this podcast episode, like traveling makes you less racist. And it's all about that concept that like being open-minded and seeing other sides and seeing others, you know, sensitivities and, you know, places of black or places of, you know, faults and also all of their amazingness. Like it, it just makes you more open-minded and just, more empathetic to the human experience on all parts. Mm. So was it your experiences in Spain that were the main ways that you learned these or was it like a collective uh, accumulation of your experiences that helped you to realize that you've been brought up this way, but you don't have to necessarily stay that way. You can change and become a more rounded and better person. Yeah, I think it, it was just little bits and pieces, you know, from the Japanese respect to their elders and Mm -hmm. their sense of quietness. I mean, you can be in a populated city of 8 million people in Tokyo and the subways can be quiet and peaceful because they have a general respect for each other. And there was never a piece of trash on the ground. And I literally picked it up because it was so out of place to me. But yeah, it's like little bits and pieces. And it will always be like that for the rest of the time that I'm here and traveling. It's going to be cool. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I suppose when you experience other cultures for real and you try to immerse yourself there's always little gems of knowledge you can gain Mm. from the cultures that you can adapt in your own life i mean you won't be able to necessarily change your native culture because you're one person in a huge nation of people Mm. but like you said americans are loud you may have been a loud american i'm not saying that you are or you were yeah but being in japan where you learned that their culture is a very quiet and polite, very polite, respectful uh, culture. I suppose that was something you thought, hmm, maybe I can become a bit like that. I'll take some of that and become a better American in my home by being less loud by that little bit of Japanese culture. And I suppose your experiences in Europe and your experiences in Latin America and in the Caribbean, there's always these little gems of culture that you can take and adapt to your own life isn't there yeah and i am really adamant about not buying myself you know souvenirs because i feel like those nuggets are my souvenirs mm. you know there's never a point for me to buy a keychain from you know china or whatever because like i've already adapted their entire diet or model of you know self <laughs> so yeah yes and also buying souvenirs costs a lot of money yeah. and you've only got a budget to travel with haven't you katie You're thinking like me now <laughs> <laughs> got it well the reason why i've never bought souvenirs is because it just takes up weight in my bag and i don't like carrying a lot of weight in my bag the first time i went to the states i had seven kilograms so that's about what 15 pounds wow in my bag it was pretty light (laughs) okay i'm gonna tell you this tip and it did not come for me and nobody can say anything but when i travel you know how you have a personal item and then you can pay for a carry-on right well they never check if you've paid for that carry-on or not. So they only, it, it's really just more of a marketing incentive to buy that $70 carry-on package. But when you get to the gate and when you hand over the ticket and you're going on the boarding plane, they never check if you have paid for that little luggage that you're carrying. It's more for an issue of uh, weight and balancing the plane so that they know where to put the luggage. But yeah, like one little carry-on that you didn't pay for is not going to hurt you and that can save you like, uh, 50 to 100 bucks so <laughs> is this in the states or is this in europe that you've experienced this i've tried it in both and it works and, and yeah. it has i mean they're they're checking tickets they're not going to be like did you pay for that you know we have a receipt on file da, da, da. I, I, they don't check it so if you've ever you know have so many souvenirs and you need to get a little travel bag and carry it back to the uk then i was suggesting that <laughs> However, note this podcast is being recorded during the pandemic and when flights resume again, it may or may not be the same. So at your own risk, I say, because the airlines might want to get more money after that. I'm curious. Yeah, (laughs) all of my money, but I feel so bad. But yeah, yeah, that was pre-pandemic behavior. 
it's, it's an interesting idea and but i would say yeah still be careful because oh, yeah. you might get screwed at the gate <laughs> oh yeah yeah you might pay a fee i didn't i didn't say anything just based on personal experience <laughs> no that's great katie uh, you got away with it well done <laughs> yeah who knows my favorite four i have four questions that I would just like to ask you about four of your favorite things. Mm. Are you ready for my favorite four? Oh, absolutely. Katie, what is your favorite country? Ooh, it would have to be Japan. Great. What is your favorite city? Oh, man. Tough one. Tough one. I mean, could it be like anywhere? Yeah. Dang. I don't want to, like, I want to say Tokyo, but, like, I've, I was just there. I love Colombia. I love Cartagena. Santorini, Santorini was, like, almost going to Mars because that was completely different than the pictures. And then being there was completely different than any other place I've been to. So for uniqueness, that's definitely Santorini in Greece. Nice. Good choice. Okay. What is your favorite walk or hike? Oh, well, I'm allergic to nature, so I don't really, as much as I backpack, I don't <laughs> walk anywhere. What about a, a city walk? Is there a favorite city walk that you've done? Yeah, London, just everything, because I could read all the words, and uh, <laughs> you guys are awesome. But one time, I remember we were walking, I had a group of five people, and like, London people, like, some of them are savages. Like, this guy was running, and you know how we are all opposite. Like we walk on, you know, different sides of the sidewalk and he chucked one of the people we were with. So it was quite hilarious, but walking in there, I'll take that over anything. Yeah, London. I suppose if that happens to you, you're very justified in being a loud American in that context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can definitely say I'm American. I'm going to sue you. Yeah. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I used to live in London and I used to love walking in London because I was so broke, I couldn't do anything else. <laughs> but I used to walk for three or four hours and I would go everywhere. And it's really, really great. And actually for anybody, I guess you would concur with this piece of advice as well, Katie, that when you're in London, anybody, try to reconsider taking the tube or a taxi because especially if you're in the center a lot of stuff is actually quite walkable. And if you're under the ground, you can't see shit. <laughs> and if you're in a taxi, you'll often be talking with the cabbie and be distracted by that rather than looking out the window. So walking on the street in London, things aren't that far away, really. So it's very doable. Yeah, absolutely. And the last one, Katie, this might be tough. Maybe it won't be. What is your favorite song? Oh, my favorite song. It changes like every two days, I swear. Um... What is it today? Oh, it's a song about manifestation. So I keep singing it over in my head to, you know, subconsciously program my brain. But it's like a rap. It's called I Am. And um, it's by young baby Tate. It is, uh, she just continuously says, I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am rich. I am that. You, know? <laughs> you can say it. Don't worry. Okay. Sorry, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you have cussing on your podcast but yeah you'll have to send me the link my favorite four i just wanted to have a chat about your podcast specifically now you've been podcasting for about a year now is that right your podcast let's travel baby yeah you were saying earlier in the podcast that you want to be releasing content to fund your lifestyle but also i imagine to send out travel tips and travel information and just build a community in regards to travel and specifically in regards to how feasible and realistic travel can be for young people and for young Americans and for young female Americans as well. Yeah, I think like, I know I'm 23 and everybody has probably seen this, but I, I feel like it is truly my life purpose because I have seen something that has been so groundbreaking for me that I have literally wanted to take on the mission of my life to help people see that and see the beauty that I have seen. I mean, I want to share what that was to me, to everybody in the world, to as many people as possible. And I think that's what I do with my podcast is I try to give bits and pieces of information or, you know, where I went wrong in my traveling experience to help the next person experience that beauty. Cause I, I quite literally think it's the most beautiful thing that's like ever happened to me. And 
I'll continue to chase it. And it's funny, like every single time I talk about traveling, I well up in tears because it's that profound to me. And I'm not a very emotional person. And it's quite literally something I've just wanted to take on the passion of my life, which is sharing it with everybody. Brilliant. I'm hearing that traveling is empowering. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Just not only with Mm. the like self-confidence, but the empowerment that, you know, things can change and to see evolution at its course is, is definitely empowering for me. Where can people find the Let's Travel Baby podcast? Where is it available? I believe it's available on every single streaming platform on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Pandora. I mean, it's just about anywhere and it's Let's Travel Baby podcast. Well, Katie, I guess I better let you get ready for class. <laughs> yeah, I'm class in like 55 minutes, but yeah. I'll just say a very big thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your perspectives and your travel experiences. It was really lovely to talk with you. So thanks very much. Yes, thank you so much for having me. You were an awesome listener and interviewer and podcaster. Very excited. And whenever you come to Vegas, we'll have to do the outside suburban tour. Sounds good to me. I'd appreciate a different perspective of that city for sure. Yeah, it's (laughs) quite literally two different worlds. So, (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.